Hey now, this is Always Be Watching. This is our regular discussion about what we've been watching, enjoying, and sometimes not enjoying. My name, it's Dan Barrett, and I'm joined here by a fantastic panel this week. As always on the panel. I mean, he is the panel as far as I'm concerned. That's pretty much it. Chris, panel Yates. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. Uh, I have been not enjoying a lot of stuff this week. Fantastic. Uh, TV-wise or just generally? Just generally. It's been a, been a rough one. Yeah, but I there's, I've also seen some really terrible TV. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Thoughts and prayers? Thanks. Uh, and joining us again, you are probably the most frequently, uh, you know, returned guest star. Not the mm-hmm. most frequently requested. You know, you're, you're <laughs> suddenly here. Uh, we've got off to a good start. <laughs> we've got Simon, part of the panel again, Foster. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And I do want to thank you for having me back. I really did invite myself on this show this week. And I was told to bring candy and I've brought candy. <laughs> so it's, yeah. uh, the mood is good. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brought the party mix. And as we've discussed on this podcast... I've got some issues with the party oh, mix. Oh, God. Here we go again. Oh, what's happened? Why? Well, because I'm not a big fan of, like, just juvie type things. I prefer, like, the bananas and the teeth and, like, the strawberries and cream. I love all that, but I don't really like this, the pure He hates juice. jelly babies. You know, it's not the podcast I thought it would be, but I kind of agree with you. I mm. tend to pick out the, the, the teeth and the bananas and the milk bottles, yeah. and I do leave the multicolored jubes for others to pick through. You're a man of taste and distinction. That's why I'm here. I like a black cat. Oh, jeez. Still talking lollies? They're great. Chris Yates. Yes, Dan. Uh, this podcast, you're yes. familiar with it. Yes, I am. Uh, uh, can I tell the people what it's about? Yeah, sure. So what we like to do is talk in a very casual manner about things that we've watched, uh, as you may do around a water cooler, if you work in a regular kind of office scenario where you have a water cooler, or you might do it um, with your friends that you don't see very often. Chris, Chris, can I offer another scenario? Okay. Let's say that you're there working your daily postal route. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're walking down the street, you're putting the letters in the mailboxes. God, I would love that job. I know you would. Oh, my God. You'd be just like Clavin. <laughs> and I would complain about it as much as Clavin, yeah. too. Hey, Normie. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd be walking along, you'd be putting the mail in the boxes, and then yep. like the people who live in the houses, or yep. the businesses, like the deli owner, the mm-hmm. butcher, the baker, the candle person, mm-hmm. they would step out and they would have conversations with you, and you know, just part of the day-to-day pitter-patter would be what I've been watching lately. Yeah, that would be a good part of that job, I reckon, as well as going through people's mail. Yeah. That would be cool, too. I I think that's illegal, Chris. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. Postman, water coolers, so what is this, 1983 all of a sudden? (laughs) (laughs) That is very much the vibe we're cultivating here. That's where we wish we were. Uh, I'm going to cut an end to all this, and I'm going to go to our very special guest, uh, Mr. Foster, and say... What have you been watching? Well, you put me right on the spot. I am going to lead with Dolomite Is My Name. This is the uh, Eddie Murphy film, which has um, taken the world by storm, screening on Netflix. Hey, the show popping tonight, huh? Rudy, you want over your limit? Yeah, well, the people are enjoying my appeal, so I stretched it out a little bit. The deal is five minutes. Hey. Hey, man. I ain't on the marquee out front. How come you put on the front? You the MC. Might have peeing to see you. Well, maybe they would, Mr. Allen. You know, I was thinking, maybe you should consider giving me my own slot. You know what I mean? Because I'm a totally different experience. I sing, I do comedy, and I dance. And I do a dance called the Dashio Dance, where I come out in the turban, and I do it to African beat. It's very erotic. Rudy, that's 1950. Vaudeville is dead. I don't need an all-in-one. Shit, I ain't that old. 
Eddie Murphy has uh, um, sort of squandered some late career trajectory he had on the back of Dreamgirls a few years ago. Um, Dreamgirls? Yeah, love Dreamgirls. The hell is Dreamgirls? Dreamgirls was this wonderful musical. Bill Condon directed it. Um, it starred Beyonce as well. The music was fabulous. Um, I think you're making it up. No. If he got the Academy Award for that, do you think he would have squandered? Uh, no. I don't. It's it's tougher at that stage of his career to have attained the heights he had back in the 80s and 90s, mm. specifically the 80s. Um, but I think that with Dolomite Is My Name, in which he plays Rudy Ray Moore, um, the rather over-the-top and quite insane uh, entrepreneurial talent uh, who sort of turned his... His uh, gift of the gab into a uh, a B movie career of the black exploitation ilk. Um, he is terrific. He's sweary. He's full of energy. He's absolutely lovable. He surrounded himself with great actors like Mike Epps and Wesley Snipes returning to the screen. Um, <gasps> Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Snoop Dogg is uh, in this there is as already well. sp- You've already spoiled too much of this for oh. me. I've got to tune out for the next. No, no, you've got to listen in. Look, this is all a right, film right. where he gets to be as wild and crazy and rough and tough and sweary as he was in his prime. Um, although it's, what, 30-odd years later, you can see a little bit of that... 48 Hours, Eddie, that made him a star, um, and that hasn't happened for a long time. So Dolomite Is My Name is a, um, is a terrific piece of entertainment. So this is a film that I think has two big selling points. First of all, it's Eddie Murphy coming back and doing a dirty performance. Mm-hmm. Okay, just in that, you know, the language is filthy, like he's a filthier sort of a character. Yep. Uh, but then also you've got the writers on the film, which are the same guys that did Edward, the People vs. Larry Flint, uh, People vs. O.J. Simpson, so uh, Scott Alexander and Larry... Karazushki, I think mm. it's pronounced. Yeah, they really have a, 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 a really fine line, a really clever way of looking at the underdog story of taking people who are on the fringe of fame and society and often good taste, um, but creating these wonderful characters and wonderful character studies out of them. You're right, Larry Flint was a high watermark for them. Certainly Ed Wood was a high watermark. It's a wonderful film. And this um, kind of feels like a bit of a throwback to Ed Wood, where it's not quite as stylized as Ed Wood, because obviously you don't have someone like Tim Burton filming it. Exactly right. But it's very much about a filmmaker who came from an unlikely position in life that mm-hmm. made it an unlikely series of films that had an unlikely effect Hollywood. He is such a he's a character who is so determined to be successful, but is so limited in his talent. Um, there's a lot of those out there at the moment. But <laughs> Rudy Ray Moore was one of the very first to do it. He he came up out of the an urban background. It came up out of a, a very tough upbringing. Um, he was kind of a, a, a vaudevillian type of person, still hanging on to those um, uh, those old tropes. Um, but then decided to start telling hobo stories in the character of, of Dolomite. Um, and he's uh, the way he tells the stories up on stage and the way he wins the audience over, it's just a joy to watch. It's Eddie Murphy in full flight, and it reminds you what a great comedian and what a, and what a compelling performer he is. I really know him through rap music, Rudy Ray Moore, because he was heavily sampled on a lot of early rap releases and stuff. So other than the occasional dirty joke and sample that's been used here and there, I don't really know much about the history at all. So I'm very looking forward to this. So, I mean, obviously, for people who don't know him, he wasn't really someone that you'd think of as a rapper, but he spoke in a lot of rhyming verse. Yeah, that's right. I think he was very influential in all those, uh, in that way. Um as well. But yes, I had no idea about the pedigree of the writers involved. Two of my favorite biopics. Biopics are one of my uh, favorite kind of styles of movies. I yep. used to I used to exclusively watch biopics when I hated all other films <laughs> for a little brief period there, which was a great period. Well, see, I'm kind of the other way because I think biopics can be 
very stale and kind of a Wikipedia version of, of a person's life and mm. um, very often very showy actor pieces that actors love to get into but don't really bring any great insight into the people. So have you seen Judy? No, I haven't seen Judy yet. So why? Is that, is that relevant, the way well, I describe biopics? My understanding is that there's a great central performance and then the rest of it's really just a... As was yeah. Ray, as was Walk the Line, as was all that... Uh, when it's done well and walk, done with- walk hard the Dewey Cox story. <laughs> I think I think yeah, like I think I pref- I, I much prefer when it's low budget. You know, like I think so often when they try to blow it out of proportion, it doesn't work as well. But exactly. when it's a low budget kind of Wikipedia retelling, as you derisively put it, that's when I really get involved. That's when okay. I like it. That's well, when see, I, I enjoy it. The point I was going to make was that, that these guys, Scott Alexander and Larry Karajewski, they they seem to bring some sort of love and affection and and. Um, uh, sort of energy to their their character stories and and telling the lives of these characters that they seem to really relate to. So um, these guys are, these guys are pretty special the way they write these yeah, films. Fantastic. Well, I think it's because they choose the offbeat character moments that yep. exist outside of the central storyline that they really focus on rather than the big sort of key beats of their yep. lives. I think that's exactly what it is. Like you think about Ed Wood, and you would think that a film about Ed Wood, a lot of it would be about the production of Plan Nine, but that's just a short montage that takes place at the end, yep. and the rest of it's about him coming out as a crossdresser to his uh, partner at the time and it's like those little great character moments where when I think of that film like that's what I remember I remember the um, uh, what do you call it when you uh, the baps- uh, baptisms yeah, and like the swimming Bill pool Murray, yes. like just those weirdo yeah, scenes totally. like those are things that resonate with me and like the actual Plan 9 stuff like that's fine but well these the characters, characters Ed Wood and Larry Flint and, and Rudy Ray Moore th- these are all characters that you could make fun of that, that you could have a very nasty film about and really take down a notch or two but these guys don't want to do that they want to embrace the crazy they want to um, they, they want to tell a story that um, embraces these characters view on the world and and uh, and I think they're the best types of, of biopics. Second time Eddie Murphy has um, done a biopic, of course, because of this first, the first half of his career where he was just Richard Pryor. Um, <laughs> oh. But uh, I love him so much in that early in those early days, of course. But he was very, very obviously influenced, and it's sort of been interesting oh. to watch backwards, to watch it as a you know grown up as opposed to the kid I was when I first saw them, thinking that all this stuff was happening for the first time. It's been really interesting watching that. But I so I'm interested to see him take to you know. This, this character with some reverence. How was the performance? Is Eddie Murphy's performance? Yeah, how was that? Oh, it's... He plays it sad at first. He looks like the world's left him behind and he's doing just, you know, emceeing gigs at other friends' um, late-night um, material on stage. Um, but when he starts to fulfil his dream and when he starts to um, create the fame for himself that he always wanted he absolutely comes alive still remains the same Rudy Ray Moore in in many ways and still is very grounded to those around him his family certainly to his friends um, the friends that he makes along the way, he uh, he doesn't tolerate fools lightly. But he, uh, even worse, he doesn't tolerate insensitivity or insincerity. Um, and and Murphy plays that with such a, a real affection. Uh, you can see that Eddie Murphy's been through a lot in his career, and it's really interesting, Chris, that you raise um, uh, Richard Pryor. I often wonder if illness and a series of bad movies hadn't befallen Richard Pryor where he would have gone on to in in a movie career. Oh, yeah. He never found the right vehicle as a, as a movie actor. He never found a movie. Even his big hits, things like Stir Crazy and um, Silver Streak, he was kind of the bit player, kind of the, the joke of the film. He never quite, quite sort of seemed at home in those movies. Um, whereas Eddie Murphy has come out of the other end of a couple of big career slumps, and we all forget how... 
you know, those of my vintage remember how huge Eddie Murphy was back in the, the Beverly Hills Cops and 48-hour days. Um, but he's come out the other end as a really mature actor who's still using the same kind of on-screen um, energy and, and who Eddie Murphy always was, but he's coming at it from a very a much wiser, older person's perspective, and that's why I think so many people are, are responding to Eddie's performance in this film. Yeah, I think about Richard Pryor, and if he'd lived long enough, maybe he could have started Norbert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we live and dream, don't we? <laughs> like, there's, yeah, but it's not like that was the last time. Uh, you know, there's been, there's been other good moments. Eddie's had other good moments sure. as well. Like, you got Bowfinger, of course, which is fantastic, sure. and I think, you know, he's... It wouldn't that movie wouldn't have worked with anybody else. I kind of like the distinguished gentleman. The distinguished gentleman. You know what I love is um, Doctor Doolittle. That is a fantastic <laughs> film. The first one. We watched that. Yeah, is there two? I it's think there might be three. I think there's four. Oh my god! <laughs> really? I got some catching up Actually, to do. He's not in all four. I don't think he's in all four. Some of the most animals of that, return. Just as a reminder, most of that movie is Eddie Murphy and Norm Macdonald ripping off, riffing on each other because Norm Macdonald plays his dog, and so it's literally a mo- the whole nearly the whole movie is just those two making fun of each other, which is f- fantastic. So you're saying Doctor Doolittle little is practically dirty work too it's, it's probably it's up there with in, in the same league of film as dirty work which you know uh, i put up very highly so where can we see this fine motion picture <laughs> uh it's screening on netflix it did have um film festival release in other parts of the world uh got standing ovations at places like toronto and through the u.s uh, but it's gone straight to netflix here in australia so tune in to your netflix channels now you're a movie guy like you review movies around the place yes. you're part of the scene yes now, do you feel that when a movie like this comes out on Netflix, do you think it really has the same sort of level of stature? Like, do we look at it as seriously as if this had had like a proper cinema release? That is a fascinating question. I am really just... Um... So like The Irishman, which comes out in a few weeks' time, yeah. like that has so much hype behind it and everyone's talking about this movie and there seems to be so much reverence for the film sure. that when it enters the lounge rooms of people around the world, it's going to bring that level of cachet with it. Yes. But something like... Sorry, what's the name of the film? It's, uh, my name's Dolomite. Yeah. Dolomite, Dolomite, is, Dolomite my is my name. Yep. When this comes out, which is going to be a film that people probably don't have much awareness of, do you think it's really going to resonate that it is such a high quality, you know, decent Wait cinema? a minute, is the Scorsese film coming out on Netflix? Yeah, it's a Netflix original. Netflix Why do we even have the movies anymore? Well, would I have a two-week run and then it goes to Netflix? And that's a fair question, Chris. Jeez. Absolutely fair question. And when that, I go to the movies and find three other people there, <laughs> yeah, I think all three of those are wondering why they paid $20 to sit there. <laughs> yeah, the cow. Irishman is in a lucky position because Roma came before it. And Roma, the the Alfonso Cuaron film that, that sort of won all the Oscars and broke the mould, it, it announced Netflix is doing something different. It's doing something big. It's doing something important. Um, so everything that comes in the wake of Roma can be sort of judged against it. And Scorsese and, uh, you know, some of the other, um, uh, the new David Michaud film, The King with Timothy Chalamet, is a, a Netflix film as well. Um, the Netflix model fascinates me. It's It's really you know, pushing a new way to watch movies, but it's adapting a very old school Hollywood model. There are the prestige picks. There's Roma, there's Irishman. There's the sort of little mid-B level movies like Rattlesnake that Zach Hildish directed recently and um, the Sam Worthington one, whose name I've already forgotten from a couple of weeks ago. These little films that turn up. And and studios used to make those films. They were called The Juror with Demi Moore. They were called Nick Nick of Time with Johnny Depp. They were those sort of movies. Yeah, yeah. And this is something Dan and I have discussed heaps, those kind of Mm. the the mid-budget movies that um, brought a lot of joy to us especially. Which disappeared after the 90s. You know, the, the, they when the, the blockbuster era came along, and I'm not going to say the M word, but let's just say that it's it's 
part of what's happened in the wake of the the, the Marvel universe. There, I said it. Um, <laughs> yeah, really. um, th- those mid-range films have disappeared, but Netflix have come along. They know they've got thousands of hours of programming to fill, so they're making those sort of movies again, um, which is interesting. I find the way that it's... And a lot of good actors and good directors are getting employed that way. Well, part of it is that the mid-budget film has been replaced not just by Netflix screening movies, like Netflix original movies, Mm. but also just by the nature of a lot of these limited short-run series that we have now, which occupy a very similar uh, vibe and intent that you Mm. found with these mid-range films. Now, I'm going to talk about two shows this week. Uh, One, just very briefly, and it fits really nicely into this conversation. I just need someone to ask me what I've been watching. You can can do it, mate. All right. Sorry, yeah. it's for format reasons. <laughs> Don't what? Don't. Sorry. <laughs> this started as a joke about a year ago, know, and it just keeps on going. Don Borat. <laughs> Dan, what have you been watching? Look, I have been watching the mid-budget replacement series Jack Ryan season two. What's the most major threat on the world stage? Venezuela is the single greatest resource of oil on the planet. So, why is this country in the midst of one of the greatest humanitarian crises in history? Your concern is that the Russians are secretly selling weapons to Venezuela? They would fit a pattern. Oh. Now, one of the things that you would have found through the 90s is Jack Ryan movies, which we've seen, I think, probably all of them right. I think sure, absolutely. I think I've seen them all except for Shadow Recruits, which right, was which the one with one of the Chris's. What's <laughs> the first one? Chris like, Pine. Hunt for Red October. Is that yeah. Jack Ryan? That was Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin is Jack Ryan. Mm. Can I do my Alec Baldwin? Remius wants to defect. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that's my Red October. That's pretty good. Uh, what's another one? Air Force One? No. No. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it could <laughs> be. Might as well be, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, uh, Some of All Fears, which is the Bad Affleck one. Yes, I remember that one. Sure. Uh, Clear and Present Danger. Clear and Present Danger. Present. Yeah. That's the one I was thinking yeah. of. There was mm. a lot of them. There was a whole bunch of them. Did Harrison Ford ever play Jack Ryan? Yeah. In that one? Clear and Present Danger. Yeah, that's why I was getting it mixed yeah. up with Air Force One, one I guess. I can't remember the name of the other. He did like three of them, I think. Did he? Yeah. Patriot Games? Yes. Well And then there was another one. Oh, gosh. We need a trivia team. I don't think there was another one. I don't think we'd do very well. Was there not three? Remember. It doesn't really matter. It makes for good podcasting, though. Yeah. But the exciting thing is that now the um, the Jack Ryan is played by the, the modern Harrison Ford. Mm. Yeah, Jim from The Office. I <laughs> <laughs> love that guy. <laughs> Which I thought was very strange casting, and I have only seen a few episodes of the first season of Jack Ryan, so um, I, to see him grow into the role and to see him take on these sort of action man chops is, is really interesting. Yeah, so I've seen season two, which debuts this weekend on Amazon Prime. What I wanted to maybe talk about here, and I just want to talk about it very briefly, I love the first season. It filled like that void that's been missing, and I really enjoyed the serialized nature of it. And it felt just like classy, just dodgy TV. In the same way you watch like a CBS procedural, like it just kind of felt like one of those, but with the bigger budget and yeah. a bit more of a serious intent. And love it. That's fine. Yes. Like, mm. It's totally cool. Uh, which just goes to show that maybe CBS's generic dramas could maybe just like step it up a little bit, and <laughs> perhaps yeah, you could have yeah. what was one of my favourite shows of last year. Yeah, the big problem with season one of Jack Ryan, you've got the casting of Jack Ryan's uh, the woman that would become his wife, uh, played by Abby Cornish, and she is the biggest disappointment with that program because the accent's not really right. Oh. She doesn't seem to fit the just general sort of vibe of the show. Like, there was just something very off about her casting. And I've seen her on other things. Like, she's fine, but here she just didn't really quite they work. They should have got okay? Pam from The Office. They absolutely should have. <laughs> but she's too busy hosting The Office Ladies Podcast. Ah, yes, this is right. Have you been listening to this? Uh, it's two episodes in, and I realised that I want to watch along with the show as they talk about it. Oh, so, so they're talking about specific episodes? Yeah, or? episode by episode. 
Oof, all the episodes? Yeah. Really? Wow. I mean, they've only done two so far, but presumably. Presumably they're going to talk yeah. about all of them. Mm. They don't have a lot going on, her and Angela. Clearly not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but season two of Jack Ryan, they got rid of the one thing that was bringing down season one, okay, which is Abby Cornish. Mm. So she's gone from the series. Uh, they don't have him in a relationship as far as the second season is concerned. So the important, like, serious relationship he was forming in the first one completely take off Just, the board. Did not even mention it? Not even mentioned. So there's like a woman that he starts sleeping with who turns out to be like an operative and you know it's kind of fun like it's fun seeing that but the one thing I would say from season two of the show is that it's missing like actually grounding him with some sort of human relationship so I don't know like I didn't like it so much in the first season but it's really missing from the second season. Is it very much a and I don't want to say generic in a bad word, but in a bad way. I know the genericness is exactly what works for the show, though. So it is sort of like a '90s kind of Jack Ryan film. But is, is, is there any sort of torn? Is there is, it, is there any sort of torn from today's headline element? Or that, is it? Uh, not really. I mean, it's the same sort of torn from today's headline in the same way that Patriot Games was in the yeah. '90s. So okay. there's suddenly elements of geopolitical politics that geopolitical politics, uh, the geopolitical nature of it, which plays into the show. But it's not like they're really thinking about a specific event that's taken place and okay. not doing their spin on it or anything. But it, yeah, it's exactly like Patriot Games, but just over eight chapters and you know with Jim fun. Yeah, with Jim from the office and Bunk from the Wire. Now, are you going to do your next uh, um, yes, one now? Yes, I'll just go straight into the next thing. All right, so can I ask you now what else you've been watching? Uh, what else have I been watching? I have watched War of the Worlds. I've <gasps> seen oh, it. Oh, wow. I haven't seen it. It's either uh, a movie starring uh, Tom Cruise, which is no. actually fantastic. I love that film. I, I love it, so it too. It's so good. It has a scene in it that reminds me of like the best bits of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's very similar to that film, I, I, I find. It has a point in it that makes me cry all the time when Dakota Fanny sings falls back on the car seat and says, was it the terror or is it the terrorists? And I thought, God, that's like a post 9-11, a whole generation has just been <laughs> torn apart. It, it, it makes me get all weepy. It's, Excuse it's, me for a minute. It's, ter- it's very sad. Yeah, very there sad. are so many incredible moments in that film. Yeah. Like Spielberg just yeah knocked that out of the park. So but now you were talking about the that. film from the 1960s um, starring, I don't even know who was in that film. Uh, um that must be what you're talking about, Dan. Uh, no, and I'm not talking about the radio play. From are you talking Orson about Orson Welles' radio play? I, you I'm must not. be talking about that then. What are you possibly talking about? I'm talking about the 2019 War of the Worlds, oh. a three-part miniseries from the BBC, two parts if you're watching it here in Australia or New Zealand and presumably other territories. So instead of a... Th- it's still three hours, but instead of going for chapters one, two, and three, they just put an edit point halfway through episode two, <laughs> really? which still works as a cliffhanger. It's well, phenomenal. that's good. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's two parts when it airs here on Foxtel, which will be in a few weeks' time. How many Doctor Whos has it got in it? Uh, there is no Doctor Whos in this one. I wasn't surprised. Okay. However, the joke is, Chris, and you didn't even realise we're heading God. towards this, is when I say it's the 2019 War of the Worlds series, I'm talking about the BBC 2019 War of the Worlds <laughs> and not the Canal Plus Fox oh 2019 War of the Worlds series, which is a different one. Wow. I guess it's that time. Everyone, everyone knows the world yeah. is doomed. But, it's time for a bit more. Oh, it's time for a bit more gloom, and <laughs> no, no, might I mean, as well be. You can look Martians that way. doing it. But what I actually really like about War of the Worlds as a format is that the idea is always the same in these things, which is that you've got these uh, tripod, you know, machines going around destroying, mm. you know, stuff. But that's the only real consistency that exists between all the movies and TV shows over the years. Sure. And instead, like, what you're doing is you're stacking it with whatever characters you want who are facing off against the tripods. Mm. Yeah. So this is the version that's set in the uh, Edwardian era of London. So this is like 1901 to 1910. 
And instead of, you know, just being a contemporary story, like it's really people getting around in waistcoats and... Steampunkish? Because that sort of opens up the... It only feels a bit steampunky because you've got the machines going around. Yep. And this is maybe where the show falls apart a little bit. So... I was really into the idea of watching a steampunkish approach. Yep. That to me seemed crazy fun. And I thought if this, and like even while I was watching it, I felt this way. Mm. If this suddenly went from being the, you know, button down story, like very sort of emotional storyline that was at the beginning, and then the machines come in sort of start like spraying everything red and, you know, all the sort of War of the sure. World stuff. But then they started amping up with like the like 80s War of the Worlds, like amp music and stuff. Rick Wakeman like, style. Oh, uh, well, more, uh, what was his name? Wayne. Yeah, it's not. It, Rick Wakeman is on it. Is it's, he on it's, it? He's, he's the keyboard player, but it is by. Yeah, That's yeah. Name. It's Wayne. All right, I'll look it up. Look it up. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century. <laughs> Jeff Wayne. So I kind of thought that if midway through suddenly they just started bringing like the Jeff Wayne, like War of the Worlds music from the sure. 80s with all the synths going on, that would have been huge fun and they could have really sort of played around with it. Instead, what you've got is the first 25 minutes of the show is this really just, it's actually an interesting storyline where you've got this uh, guy who's in his, we'll say sort of late 30s, early 40s, who's in a relationship with like this young redhead lady that he's just recently entered a relationship with. And it's pretty serious, like they want to get married, except the thing is that he's someone who's already married to like another woman that oh, he's dear. left her. It turns out it was his cousin. Um, the entire family and he comes from money the entire family is just you know upset about the whole thing he's been ostracized from everything that he knew and Mm. he's even having problems at work because he works as a journalist and there seems to be influence from his family into like you know the publication all that sort of thing so there's a solid backstory there's a solid backstory and it's actually really like it's really nicely cast these characters have like actual emotional senses and all of that is just thrown out the window completely as soon as the you know tentacle the tripod guys come in which it would be though wouldn't it i mean it would be but even so like there was kind of this real sort of energy that existed between the young couple in it who are fairly progressive in like their mindset and you've created really interesting characters of whom stop being those characters because they're just running away and separated from each other Okay. So the one thing the show really has for it is like these two like playing off each other and it's so cute and fun and I was like so into this couple mm. and then suddenly they're not really a couple anymore. They're just going, oh, where's the other one? Leaving letters and the other one finding it years later because they do a split timeline then and yeah. Mm. There know, was it just, some, there it was, just loses that and it's so disappointing because it starts so strong. There was some feedback that the chemistry between Rafe Spall and the, the actress is very good and I guess you're alluding to that in the in the the opening half hour or so, um, it'd be disappointing, as you say, to, to lose that as the, the story meanders on. Yeah, and lose it, it does. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the two characters, as you mentioned, Rafe Spall is the main guy in it, and then there's an actress named Eleanor Tomlinson, who I was unfamiliar with. Apparently she's in Dark. No. Okay, but yeah, she's fantastic. Like, I really want to see more from her because yeah, she has such a presence on screen. And the two of them are fantastic. I was yeah completely into it. And then also it's got a really good performance in there from Robert Carlyle. Oh my god! It's always good to see. Yeah, and he's that only crazy old bugger pop up. I've only seen the first hour and a half of it, uh, but yeah, like he's only really in the first half hour. But he's great. Is that because yeah. he dies? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say. Oh, uh, but the other version is one that stars Gabriel Byrne. 
And Ooh. so I'm kind of curious to see that. Yeah. And that's one that's got sure. a very European flavor throughout it. Is that set in modern times? I believe it's in modern times, but it's through Europe and a number of different countries at the same time. Why so again, it... it's like War of the Worlds, but just told from different perspectives. And I think that's kind of really cool. Why the relevance now? Why are we getting all these War of the Worlds? Because um, the world is ending and we'd like to fantasize that yeah. it's because of Martians and not because of our own stupidity. <laughs> a little ray of sunshine, <laughs> aren't you? I mean, like, I'm sure that's part of it. Also, we live in a period of you know intellectual property that they want to make things that people have heard of before. Sure, there's certainly and, that. You know, it's been, what, 14 years since the Tom Cruise oh, Spielberg War of the Worlds. So Was that the last good Spielberg film? No. <laughs> oh, let's not get into that. <laughs> what was his most recent film? Ready Player One. Uh, I kind of like that. It was okay. Yeah, it's it. a good Saturday morning. It movie. doesn't really have any Spielbergness about it, though. I well, thought it was very except for all the Spielbergy moments, except for all the bits from the other Spielberg films. Yeah. But I didn't really feel like it felt like a Spielberg film at all. Well, but I, I well, really felt like War of the Worlds did. The focus is going to be right on Spielberg in the next twelve months or so when his remake of West Side Story comes out. Yeah, and then he goes on to make a Marvel film straight after. He'll make a Marvel film. <laughs> I just do not care about that at all. Um, either okay. of those scenarios. Sorry. So anyway, War of the Worlds will be kicking off in the next couple of weeks on Foxtel. And depending where you are in the world, you'll see it in some form. So the BBC hasn't screened it yet. So I think Foxtel will have it before the BBC. How have you seen it if it, if it doesn't exist yet? Uh, Foxtel's media site. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, anyway, Chris, I reckon you've probably been watching something. <laughs> I have been watching something. And we've gone from a high-caliber Netflix drama, which, you know, possibly Academy Award nomination maybe for... People are talking about Eddie. it. Eddie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the sort of lofty intended, even if it kind of missed the mark, War of the Worlds uh, series. Uh, Chris, what have you got on the mind? So, um, last time Simon was in, I felt very underprepared. I am, you know, not a, not a movie expert. Um, I wanted to bring something, you know, I wanted to bring a cinema classic to oh, the table it. this time around. This I wanted to good. really bring something that is elevated my life through watching this thing when it's I was going to be like the third man young is it Gandhi it's Gandhi isn't it it's close it's close you're uh, close about other, all that other awesome worlds are Ambersons Magnificent Ambersons look you, I just can't tell you how close you are but I'm going to have to break it uh, I'm going to be discussing Ishtar class today I will be discussing the 1986 film Maximum Overdrive pardon me what now <laughs> <laughs> written several motion pictures but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dickens is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories. And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. And who was driving it? I don't know. It was my first picture as a director, and you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. Now, you can pretend that you don't know this, this oh, cinema classic, film, but I, I know, know you will do. So, let me set the scene. It's 1986. Um, Stephen King's the most famous author in the world. His his movie, his books have been turned, his coke-fueled rampages of novels have been turned into some uh, various Films of various degrees of successfulness, most very successful. Um, None of them as good as Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> None of them as well. Uh, and I just want to point this out. Uh, so up until this point, um, in 1980, we had uh, a certain, you know, a, a youngish um, Englishman um, called Stanley Kubrick made a film called The Shining. You Never might, heard of it. Might have heard of it. No. I know of it. Based on a Stephen King novel. 
1983. This is a selected. Uh, this is a selected. Uh, Are you talking about the free horse adopts a sleep? Yeah, that's yes. I okay. guess. I guess so. I don't know what that means. Uh, 1983. Uh, David Cronenberg made a film called The Dead Zone. It's fantastic. Great film. Seen a series. 1983. Also, uh, a little known uh, horror guy made uh, a film called Christine. His name was John Carpenter. Absolutely. Yes. Come around to 1986. Stephen King. Furious about the. Poor quality of the films that have been made. <laughs> hey, there's an oh, what? A, De Palma made Brian De Palma made one too. What a Brian, well, De Palma Carrie. made Carrie prior to that. Carrie. There you go. Yeah. I forgot about Carrie. We should point out King was one. counting the money on these films. These are I doing know, these huge are... business at the box office. He had Cujo in there <laughs> as well. Yeah, that's right. Lewis, there were two Lewis Teague movies. Yeah. Well, I just didn't include because he's maybe not of the same caliber. Um, to illustrate my point that uh, Stephen King was furious that all these. Losers had ruined his books by turning them into terrible films. Decided he would have a crack at it himself, and hence, that go? henceforth we have the film <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. Well, he only did it once. Yes, if that's any indication. Uh, Maximum Overdrive is now sold as a horror comedy. Um, is the is the uh, the genre that it falls into? Although at the time Stephen King in his Coke film Mayhem was deadly serious about this film and thought it would really terrify the socks out of of people. Um, I don't know what to say. It is a schlocky masterpiece of just terrible acting. If Emilio you could Estevez. sum up the present, if you could sum up, yes, the I should do that, it. shouldn't I? Um, oh, you could do it. You've seen it. Well, I've You'll seen do it a couple of me. times a long time ago. From what I recall, some kind of outer space influence. I believe it's a meteorite. A meteorite. Okay, we'll go with that. And it uh, flew between the sun and some kind of sector and created this energy which gave the magi- machines all a sense of their own uh, destiny and they all turned evil and trucks and lawnmowers and cars started uh, trying to kill people. Vending machines. Vending machines. Toasters. Don't put a vending machine offside. And so this film turned really turned into kind of a... An assault on Precinct Thirteen, where where all these yes. people were trapped in a in a in a diner, if I recall, yeah, or in a petrol do. station, like a, a truck stop, a truck stop, and um, a demon truck was circling them because it, it had a demon sort of fiberglass front on it because I think it represented a toy company or oh, something like that. Or? I love the way you're pretending to vague, have a vague oh. recollection of this movie you're describing in insanely accurate detail. <laughs> I have a genuine question. <laughs> yes, dear. so obviously this movie's very good. Yes, obviously, obviously, is it a better movie than The Happening? Well, that's a long bow to pull, isn't it? I don't know, I don't know what the happening um, is. You don't know. That's the, the Shyamalama ding dong one about the trees that upset, got upset and killed people. Yeah, I mean, I'll ignore your casual racism then, but sure. <laughs> I said that sounds like a cool movie. I'd like the idea of that. It's phenomenal. Uh, it's got Marky Mark. Well, and this has got Emilio Estevez. He was like the '80s version of Marky Mark, wasn't he? <laughs> Very much so. Don't you reckon? And um, another, I've got a few more little bits of trivia. Oh, I just I want to jump in. They're pretty, pretty good. Um, the voice of Lisa Simpson, Yardley Smith, mm-hmm. plays one of the main actors, yep. which is very fun because she said because it's like Lisa Simpson there. Um, but most, uh, the, what do you mean from Herman's Head? From Herman, yes, of yeah. course. The, the, I should talk about things people remember, right? Exactly. Instead of that other yeah. stupid show. Um, and another really cool bit of trivia is that uh, Stephen King famously was very into rock and roll, and he had, um, you know, he was very into the Ramones, and he was very into ACDC. And for the, the the first, and I think the only time, oh, maybe it's probably happened a little bit since. But back in those days, it was a big deal to get ACDC to do the whole soundtrack to your film, which ACDC did for Maximum Overdrive. But by the time the soundtrack was ready to come out, 
it was so poorly received that instead of it being released as the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack, it was just released as the album Who Made Who, which actually was really? massive. So I was reading about this today. Yeah. So if you even if you look it up, it actually comes up as this is the soundtrack to Stephen King's film Maximum Overdrive, just wow. rebadged. The original copies of it have a little tiny movie poster on the back. And that's why it's got like... It's it's a weird. It's always been. I've I always wondered why it was so weird because it's got um just like two. I think two new songs. One of which is Who Made Who, which is basically about the movie. Sure. And then um a bunch of older songs. So there's a bunch of songs off um Back in Black, which only just had only just recently come out. Mm. Um and there's even one with Bon Scott singing on it. So it's just sort of like really bizarre thing. And then to have it sort of reband rebranded as just another ACDC album when we- the movie was. So dismally received. We should point out that although the movie has enjoyed some sort of renaissance in an ironic kind of millennial way, you can't understand how objectionably awful this film it is. It's really so is. terrible. It's, yeah, you know, and 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 it has a following because of that. Yeah, every one of the characters, even even so-called you know leading man Emilio Estevez, is such a terrible human being. <laughs> yes, um, and there's nothing redeeming about, about any of them. That it's, they're all they're all the most offensive redneck stereotypes you can find in any kind of film. Um, I'm. You you make the point that Stephen King was fairly heavily under the, under the influence of narcotics through through <laughs> much of the production of the film and by all accounts the writing of the short story. The seventies and eighties, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, but the film is just a terrible, terrible waste of film. The best thing about it, I think, you don't even really have to watch the movie these days. But there's an amazing trailer that's on YouTube that um, I watched today again just to make sure it was as good as I remember. And it starts with a speech by I don't even know. Maybe um, we could insert the audio, but it starts with a speech of yeah to him talking about how all these um terrible directors have ruined his films and now he's finally got the chance to take it on and it's just ruin his own film it's it's mind-blowing yeah. stuff but yes he was never i don't think ever invited back to make another to make another it's film maximum overdrive kids check it out so that was in the interest of um halloween talking about something a bit scary talking about a film um that was it meant a lot to me as a young person How's my segue going? This is really good. I want to see this like fully play out. Segue to what? So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the ruining it. Uh, I noticed you're wearing a Fangoria t-shirt there. Ah, that'll work on a podcast. Yes, I am wearing a Fangoria t-shirt, and it's Halloween this weekend. It Halloween is coming this weekend. up to Halloween this weekend. Wonder what? I wonder if there's something you might want to talk to the what, people about. Let's say that I'm in a major capital city somewhere in Australia. Mm-hmm. Let's, what about Sydney? Well, we'll Sydney, say Sydney or Canberra or Adelaide or Perth or Brisbane. Yeah, okay, like any of those major thriving capital, like metropolitan cities. And I don't just want to sit around at home and like just like troll Netflix no. and totally find what? like a horror film there. Why not? Because like maybe I oh, want yeah, to go no, out course. and share a horror film with like the people. Yes, you want to hear the people scream. But I don't just want to watch the same old horror films that I've seen time and time again. I want something a bit new, something that's just a bit wild and perverse. Is there a place I could go and do this? You know, it's funny you bring it up. <laughs> there is a, a film festival um, uh, launching in all of those capital cities that we mentioned called Monster Fest. Yeah, just by coincidence. Um, it's called Monster Fest, or by its full name, Fangoria Cross Monster Fest Takes on Australia. And uh, Monster Fest, for those in Melbourne listening to us, um, has been a big deal down there for uh, quite a few years now. Uh, but this year they're going national. They're rolling out, having launched in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago with very successful series of films. They're taking those films into all the capital cities over the Halloween weekends, thanks to our friends at Event Cinemas. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be the festival director of the Sydney leg of Monster Fest. Um, and as we said, it's rolling out through all those other capital cities. So, yeah, you're right. We do have um, some fairly high-profile people, people like Rob Zombie, 
um, has a film in the festival opening the night opening night film Three from Hell. We have Nicolas Cage in Colour Out of Space as our closing night film. It's a return to the, the feature film world for director Richard Stanley, who was um, uh, very famously run off the set of his remake of Island of Dr. Moreau. They, oh, made, they yes. made that wonderful documentary about that. Um, and in between, we've got a lot of good Aussie films and some crazy stuff from overseas. So it's a good place to spend the weekend. Now, that Rob Zombie film, because I'm, I'm not a big horror guy, so I don't really quite follow like the zombie over like that closely. Mm-hmm. But is this this like a continuation of like a series of films he's been doing? Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, look, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, I've had a love-hate relationship with Rob Zombie's films up to this stage. Mm. Um, Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses. And so now I've seen with both of those. Three from Hell. Well, this is a oh, continuation. This is yeah, okay. this is the Firefly Clan. Um, probably the standout amongst them is the wonderful Cherie Moon Zombie, what now wife of Rob. Uh, she puts in a completely nutty performance. What are you smoking <laughs> at? <laughs> Um, and and, and uh, this is a, a it, it's designed to open a, a horror film festival three from hell. Um, it is a dirty grindhouse sort of splattery film, uh, which ends in a massive shootout in a Mexican town. Um, along you're, you're the kind wa- of selling me on it. Yeah, well, along the way, there's some very gruesome moments, some very over the top. Uh, killings as only Rob Zombie can do. He copped a lot of flack, set a lot of people offside with his two versions of Halloween, which you know have sort of been pushed oh, to yes. the side of a bit in the wake of uh, uh, the 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 um, sequel last year. Um, but he is a fascinating filmmaker in the way he frames his images, uh, uses his dialogue, really takes on the tropes of horror, the misogyny. The the final girl element, the you know the surviving girl in the in the in the films in the horror films, um, and he's made a pretty uh, challenging, grueling, old school horror film in horror film in Three from Hell. Uh, worth noting with Three from Hell that it's got Sid Haig's final performance in it. It certainly does. Yep, the great man's up on screen, not for a long time, but he's up there for a good time. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, and when is Maximum Overdrive screening? I'll just put it in my diary now. Well, Monster Fest has a reputation, and <laughs> and I don't think we'll be screening that anytime soon, no, other, in the, other than in the most ironical sense. But, um, so you talked about the two big films of the festival. What's maybe the one sort of gem in there yeah. that we need to check out? That's a great question. Um, I'll give you three very quickly. There's um, for one, but an no American one. independent <laughs> film called The Wretched. Which is a, which is one of those classic sort of stories about a boy and his family move into a new house next door. Something is going on that might be somewhat untoward. Turns out it is a, a witch who is um, living next door. Now this isn't the old bubble bubble toil and trouble kind of witch with a cauldron. Sexy she, witch. She is this shape. Oh, she is sexy at times, absolutely. <laughs> but she is this shape shifting creature of the woods that comes out, can seep through walls, and um, it is a fantastically creepy film. Well, someone turn on the lights. This is scary. <laughs> yeah, it's called, and it is. It's a very creepy film. It's called The Wretched, and we've got two great Aussie films in there. One called Blood Vessel, which is the classic sort of um, haunted uh, ship at sea, survivors Ooh. in. World War Two stumble across this big German destroyer with no Germans on board but a locked cellar. Hello. Yeah, hello. Uh, sorry, third film? Two Heads Creek um, yeah. from a, a director called Jesse O'Brien. Um, a real takedown of Ocker racism, all dressed up as a small town splattery black comedy. I grew up just down the road from Two Head Creek. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Sweetie in there. Gary Sweet has a role oh, in there. Oh, my God. Helen Dallymore gives a crazy lead performance. It's written by um, a young British actor who stars in the film. Um, they come out here f- to escape a, a Brexit 
Britain in in free fall and find themselves in this backwater town um, itself a an enclave of racism. Now, can I ask a logistics question about staging a horror movie festival? Sure. So horror movies, the best way to watch it is usually, usually like a late night, sort of, you know, it's 9.30 on, you know, like, um, is there like, I'm sure there's like 11.30 sort of. There is, you know. yeah. Dogs don't wear pants, a BDSM. <laughs> they it's, don't. It's a BDSM But what's the name romance. of the film? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so obviously, <laughs> night times when you want to watch these things, but because it's a film festival and it's running over three days, yep. surely there's a whole bunch of films playing during the daytime. Yes. So do they feel like, are these do films Do they turn the lights off in the, night, in the cinema? I'm sorry. No, 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 but like you go in there. So on the weekend, the one that's just passed, sure. um, I went and saw the film Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. Which is like a bit of a fun, horror-ish sort of uh, thing. A wonderful Samara Weaving. Exactly. She's, great, yeah. she's really great in it. Um, everyone's really... Like, Andy McDowell's got a really good performance yeah. in it. And yeah. I don't care much for Andy McDowell. Oh, my God. I love Andy McDowell. Have you seen Hudson Hawk? Of course I have. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm sure I've seen it with you. <laughs> well, <laughs> ready, or not, we have ready or Not closed the Melbourne leg of the of ah, Monster Fest. Oh, really? So, yeah. So it's... Um, okay. Horror fans know it well. Yeah, and it's a pretty fun film. But I saw it at the time it was intended to be seen, which is 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and there was definitely a bit of a vibe that was kind of lost from the film where sure. I wish I had watched it at a late night sort of session. Um, how does it go with the audiences like over a weekend like that? Like, I'm sure the films are chosen to be You've the just longer get profile... L- yeah, look, it's yeah. it's about um, finding. You certainly sort of uh, program for your key session. So you're six thirty on Saturday night, you're nine thirty, and then a ten o'clock session. Um, that is when the the horror fans want to come out. But also, that's you've got to look at sessions throughout the day and program things that will interest people that aren't necessarily you know hardcore horror fans who may want to come and see a festival film to put it in milder terms or to see a um, we've got a wonderful film called Dark Whispers Volume One, which is an anthology film. Um, all directed by Australian female directors. Um, Megan Riarcos, the head of women in film and television here in, Austra- in New South Wales, sorry. Um, she's collected all these great shorts together, some of them a few years old now, but it's all about the women directors and what they can do with horror. So there's a you try to find angles, you try to find um, different points of view. Here in Sydney, we're screening uh, a collection of short films from the film and television school, from Afters. Oh, very cool. So, that, yeah, so there are sort of different elements and different angles you, you work with to, to make those daytime sessions certainly appealing to the horror fans, fans, but also, you know, true film festival events. Yeah, yeah I feel like that would be where I would be more interested, maybe. So that's interesting. Yeah. That's a good question, Dan. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, well, it caught me by surprise. It didn't clearly. feel like it was going to be when it came out, but there you go. There were a, a good bunch of jerks. Um, that's fantastic. Can you give us give us all the details? Where do we go to find out more? Where do we get our tickets? Monsterfest.com.au. We'll give you and go to the program page. Uh, get your tickets through the event website, Event Cinema's website. Um, uh, it kicks off this Thursday, October 31st. Um, come dressed up. Come straight from all your Halloween trick or treating to the seven thirty p.m. Just, screening of of uh, Three from Hell. I was going to ask what you will be wearing. Whether you will be in costume. Um, yes, I'm yet to decide on that. In fact, I'm feeling a little bit inspired by the finished BDSM drama Dogs Don't Wear Pants, <laughs> which I mentioned earlier. So who knows what I'll be wearing? Oh my gosh! But um, uh, we go from Three from Hell into a great Australian film called The Furies. That's nine thirty all around the country. Um, uh, the director of that will be in Sydney for a Q&A. There are a lot of Q&As over the weekend, which is another way we you know, get the non-horror types and people who want to learn about filmmaking um, along the way. So. I like the idea of them screening at the same time too. That's very good for people to chat on their social chatting things. A, a, a logistic nightmare, but, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we've managed to pull it off. I guess we've managed to pull it off, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how. Yeah, we'll get you back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, I'll be 
figure it out. Figure it all out. That is awesome stuff. I'm excited. What are you going to go see, Dan? Uh, look, I'm not too sure. So there's a couple of things. I, I'm kind of, I want to see that Nicolas Cage film. Color Out of Space, based on a H.P. Lovecraft Lovecraft novel, directed by Richard Stanley. It's a uh, by all accounts. I haven't seen it yet. They didn't give us any sort of. Pr- we we booked it for the festival side unseen, just because it's. Well, it's st- Nicolas Cage. It's Nicolas Cage off the back of Mandy, the monster pictures people handled the release of Mandy last year, which was a huge hit for them. This is him in a similar sort of kind of arty but also very cool horror sort of way and which I don't understand why he hasn't been making more of those kind of yeah. things over the last few well, years how many of them could there be how many kind of scripts come along like Mandy or Colour Out of Space There's I don't know like, I just feel he's someone of whom has been choosing a whole bunch of dodgy films over the years why not take a few more risks he he's, he likes being a working actor. I think yeah. I get that feeling, and I, I I sort of use that argument when I talk I, about. I De think Niro financially too. he needs to be a working actor. And he's got some tax problems. <laughs> Has he really? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it's, that's right. I mean, that was where he cut his kind of. That's where he became Nicolas Cage. Was doing those mm. those sort of films alongside of a few big budget ones here and there. But well, they were the f- always very interesting. The film that films. made his name was Vampire's Kiss, oh, which was so a horror good, film. film. Yeah, I love where, that film where he ate the cockroach. I haven't seen that since probably oh, probably 15 years or more. Mm. I'd love to watch that again. Great film. Yeah. I'll watch it. We'll talk about it next time you come in, Simon. All right. How yeah, about that? Kids, sure. Now, we've got some business to take care of at the end of this here podcast. I hope it's quick because we're really running over time. Okay. Well, we're about to quickly knock this out. Uh, next week, we've got a very special Always Be Watching. We've got the launch of Apple TV Plus, which is one of the big brand new streaming services. So we're going to take a look at some of the brand new Apple TV Plus shows. Can't wait. There's a massive sign. Did you see the sign for the morning wars out there? It's like five stories tall. It's like, oh, that's what that's yeah. that's how Apple's going to get people to watch <laughs> the hit stuff. This is exactly it. Massive uh, I saw buildings. a Disney Plus uh, Mandalorian bus drive past the other day. Oh, my God. That's yeah. exciting, too. Mm, uh, it's all on. So, yeah, we're going to talk about the Apple TV Plus stuff this excellent. week. So we'll look at the four or five brand new shows, including Snoopy in Space for Chris. Yes, uh, but then also maybe like The Morning Show slash Morning Wars. Uh, I like Steve Carell. C. He's out of the office. Yeah. There's a show called C, which looks good, even if I'm not sure the f- show itself will be any good. But I'm ha- hoping to be surprised. Yeah, that's yeah. excellent. Uh, there's For All Mankind, which is the space race drama. There's only like five shows, isn't there? Shouldn't yeah. be too too hard. Then just one episode each. And then there's also Dickinson, which is the uh, sort of teen-orientated show about um, Emily Dickinson. Mm. Uh, what's interesting about it from the release is that they talk about how everything's going to be weekly except Dickinson which is going to be all 10 episodes at once so you mm. know, if you're into it and you will be <laughs> you can just tell how much yeah. I'm interested in that already watch the trailer okay. and I reckon you might be a bit more interesting than you think you are alright 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 yeah. I will it's kind of fun looking anyway um, but yeah we're doing that on a podcast next week excellent are you going to hook me up with this show somehow or how am I going to see them? I'll look after you okay cool Thanks. Um, Thanks heaps for coming, Simon. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure. It's always fun to be here, and thank you for having me on at such short notice. It's awesome. So, three things we talked, four things this week. Mm. Uh, I'll talk about my two before I do throws. Uh, Jack Ryan Season 2 is streaming as of this weekend on Amazon Prime. So, you can watch that first thing in the morning before you head off to the Fangoria Monster Fest. Uh, And then I also talked about the BBC War of the Worlds, which is coming to Foxtel in about two weeks' time. Uh, Chris Yates, you talked about the fantastic... The 1986 film Maximum Overdrive, which is available at VH- on VHS at your local <laughs> blockbuster. <laughs> video Easy? Yeah, baby Video Easy. Look at the kids, yeah. Uh, streaming on Netflix now is... Dolomite Is My Name with Eddie Murphy, a return to form. Indeed. And let's say you want to leave the house, which I'm not usually pro, but you know, in this case, maybe. Uh, where do people go this weekend? 
they should go to their local event cinema where they'll see one of well, it's many... probably not their local, but probably the ones in the CBD. Yeah, catch a bus. Um, <laughs> it's called uh, Fangoria Monster Fest Takes on Australia. It kicks off this Thursday night and runs through to Sunday evening. And that's in all your major capital cities except for Melbourne that already had theirs. They got theirs a couple of weeks ago. Sell-out crowds. Um, I did a bunch of Q&As, and so I sort of know what's coming up with these films. Um, everyone's in for a good time. There's uh, there's lots of good stuff amongst the program. Yeah, no, it looks wild. I'm very keen sure on it. Sure does. Excellent. Uh, if, people like the, if people like the podcast, leave reviews, helps people find the show. Don't leave a review if you don't like the podcast. Yeah, definitely don't. <laughs> uh, there's a daily newsletter at alwaysbewatching.com. Sign up for that, and you'll get six days a week some you know amazing stuff in your inbox. Thanks heaps, Dan. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Mr. Simon Foster. Thanks, guys. 